one reflection that is always beneficial to return to in our practice is the teaching the Buddha gave that kanti, patience, is the, the supreme destroyer of defilement. Because for all of us, it inevitably will take time to train ourselves, body, speech and mind, in the way of the Dhamma, in order to achieve the fading away and ultimate cessation of Kilesa and the cause of suffering. Not only does it take time, but it also requires patience to be willing to bear with the difficulties of the practice. Any hardships, mental or physical, sometimes physical pain, discomfort, sometimes mental discomfort as we go against Kilesa. And not just once or twice, but over and over again through time requires patience, forbearance, So this reflection is uh, one one can use every day through the through our lives as bhikkhus, as samaneras, anagarikas. With the reflection, it implies that if one is patient enough, then one will gain all the happiness and peace that one is seeking, however long it takes. If one loses patience, is impatient, one will continue to experience suffering, unhappiness, The Buddha said the penetration of the Four Noble Truths, which is the culmination or the fruit of developing this path, <coughs> is always accompanied by joy, inner joy, happiness. It's not something that's accompanied with suffering. But on the path, then, of course, there will be some suffering, and this is why one needs patience. And it's important to get 
develops some understanding is a good attitude because one of the biggest obstacles and hindrances in the practice is just being willing to experience a little bit of the difficulties of the path being willing to do that often we tend to turn away or shy away from either real difficulties or sometimes just perceived difficulties we perceive that something will be difficult hard on us leading to suffering so we often shy away or or turn away from the practice when of course if one is practicing with the right intention the right attitude and willing to put up with some difficulty some modest difficulty well the result will actually be some joy, some happiness. So often our own fear of pain or hardship or difficulty actually brings us to more suffering in a funny kind of way. We often tend to take sides with our own kilesas that means maybe our more selfish tendencies or lazy tendencies or more negative tendencies. We take sides with them and then end up actually suffering all the more for it. Whereas to follow the path might mean some initial difficulty and hardship or even suffering, but it's the suffering for the ending of suffering. We have to keep establishing that understanding so as not to be fooled by the negative perceptions we might have about practice and what we're facing and the challenges of it. There's one time the Buddha asked one bhikkhu I think and uh, that if a man has a lifespan of a hundred years but at the same time he was subjected to the pain of um, being speared a hundred times in the morning a hundred times in the middle of the day and a hundred times at night so three hundred times a day being speared every day for those hundred years but at the end of the hundred years he was guaranteed to realize and penetrate the four noble truths accompanied with the, the joy and the release of suffering would it be worth it? Would it be suitable for that man to say, take up that offer, if he was offered that at the beginning of his life? 
And the Buddha said, yes, it would be suitable for him to take up that offer because of samsara. Samsara is beginningless, endless, endless birth, old age, sickness and death, life after life. Far more dukkha and difficulty and hardship than just one life of spear prodding. Because penetration of the Four Noble Truths, you know, dukkha, knowing, realizing what dukkha is, knowing its cause, knowing its end, knowing the path leading to its end, is accompanied by joy, release, and the end of suffering, and the goal of Nibbana, the penetration of the Four Noble Truths, say for a Sodapana, the arising of the Dhamma Eye, or the that knowledge, <coughs> we call, say a stream winner, entering the stream of Dhamma by developing the path. They're guaranteed to reach complete cessation of suffering at most within seven lives, and maybe only within one or two or three lives. So the Buddha said it's worth it because practicing Dhamma does seem like that sometimes. You're becoming mindful of dukkha, knowing what dukkha is, facing up to it, looking at it, studying it, wisely reflecting on it. So we become aware of pain, for instance, physical pain, mental pain. Become aware of the limitations of these five aggregates their impermanent nature, the dukkha of them. You know, we cling to our candors and suffer for it. But that dukkha that we're becoming aware of and studying and learning about is dukkha for the ending of dukkha. And it's not for increasing suffering and unhappiness, it's for the ending and cessation of suffering and unhappiness. So in that sense it's worth pursuing the path, even though it can seem like 300 spears a day. In essence, the culmination of the path is bringing the mind to insight into the nature of these candors as impermanent. unsatisfactory, selfless, without an owner. In short, just seeing everything that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. In that phrase you hear, whether it's Venerable Anya Kondanya or Venerable Pali or Sariputta hearing from Asaji. It's that insight that this body feelings, perceptions, thought, formations and sense consciousness are Dhamma that arises and ceases. That insight is seeing both cessation or seeing cessation in that which arises so as one 
focuses the mind, say, on form, the arising of form, one also knows that it's ceasing. Feeling arises, one knows it's also ceasing. Arising, mm -hmm. birth and cessation or death are seen at the same time, as it were. The insight is so strong. And it just penetrates physical and mental phenomena. So that there's no doubt in the mind, no fuzziness, no uncertainty. And even though one still may have kilesa arising, but this right view or right understanding of the nature of this body and this mind is established. So there's a clear vision of the ending of suffering through giving up of clinging and craving and clinging based on these five candors. So there's a clear vision of Nibbana even though say the Sotapanna hasn't reached Nibbana they have at least had a clear vision that it exists there's no longer any doubt in the mind they know it's there, and they know it's what it is. They know it is true. What the deathless is, there is such a thing as the deathless. By this insight into seeing that which arises ceases. Seeing cessation in, in arising. Seeing arising in cessation, cessation in arising and the mind detaches from the candors. And this is something we're training in. And obviously we can learn about this, study about this, become aware of it, awaken to it anytime that we turn the mind to develop the path, maintain precepts, right livelihood, develop right effort and right mindfulness, calm and concentrate the mind and then direct it to see cessation in that which is arising. We can do that any time, whether we're in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, whatever posture, whatever activity, because the five candors are with us at all times, available for us to contemplate. The raw material of insight is there. It's whether we have the patience to keep coming back to contemplate truth in this body and this mind as it is right now from moment to moment. And to keep doing that, obviously at first in the practice we have moments of insight with perhaps hearing Dhamma or reading Dhamma, thinking about it, making sense. Later on maybe comparing our experience, thinking about, internally thinking about how this body is, how our mind is, the rising, passing away of moods and so on. But it's often just temporary insights. 
catchy insights and then we often <coughs> lose it again, maybe for a long time. But nevertheless, this is where patience comes in is to keep returning to the basics of practice, the establishing mindfulness, putting effort into establishing mindfulness training oneself, being willing to train, to bring up mindfulness, put the effort in to bring up mindfulness and then direct the mind to contemplate and observe truth as it is arising. The quality that perhaps is most useful here is Yoniso Manasikara, wise attention, paying close and wise attention to the way this body, this mind is from moment to moment, day to day. The opposite of unwise attention where we're paying attention to defilement, defiled states of thinking and moments of consciousness that are associated with greed, anger, delusion and all their offshoots, the different kilesa. So one of the most important developments in our practice is just learning to recognize what is wise attention and what is unwise attention. Bringing the mind to look at itself, the way it's looking at experience or just indulging in experience. Becoming very cautious about our own thoughts and moods, perceptions, cautious about this body and the way we look at the body and the way we relate to the world around us. Another insight that the, the Sodapana has is they have insight not only into the impermanent nature of these candas, they, they know the gratification of the candors, they know the danger in the candors. The gratification, I mean, they know how the mind is when it indulges, clings to the candors, and, and increases what increases its clinging, its gratification. So, particularly the attachment to the weight in a candor, how we seek pleasure and reject and try to get rid of pain, whether it's physical or mental. Now the sense of self forms around pleasure and pain and the perceptions of pleasure and pain, what brings us pleasure and pain, and then all the thought formations based around that which lead on to karma and seeking and doing things according to our likes and dislikes. And this is gratification of the candors. So the way the mind indulges in the candors becomes one with them. And there's no mindfulness, no detached awareness of the candors, but just following them, following mental formations based on greed, anger, delusion, following the weight and other 
prompts it and so on getting caught into the perceptions based on it but knowing the danger of the candors, knowing well that leads to suffering doesn't it the more you attach to the weight in a candor, the more it pulls you all over the place brings you to suffering the more you attach to the body identify with it the more fear you have the more aversion you have the more lust you have the more you attach to your thought formations well the more the stronger your mood swings become the more moods you have the more highs the more lows the more you attach to sense consciousness with without mindfulness without wisdom well the more you're affected by sense stimulation bringing you more weight in a, and more mental proliferation based on it and the more perceptions based on it on and on it goes but you see the danger seeing the danger in that seeing the danger in clinging to the candors with ignorance without mindfulness so naturally seeing what is the gratification in the candors how the mind is seeking that, seeing the danger in the candors, then naturally, if you see danger, then you become cautious, like anything in life. If you see a snake up ahead on the path, you become cautious, very careful what you do. You may stop or walk around it, or walk slowly or retreat. You don't just carry on walking casually and carelessly. Danger makes you mindful. So by developing wise attention, close, paying close attention to these candors, <coughs> naturally brings up heedfulness, caution. And from that we gain wisdom, we gain clarity, you know, on the way this body is, the way the mind is, the way feeling affects us, the way perception affects us, the way thought formations affect us. But within that we're also using the very candors that we're observing, we're having to train them at the same time. So just intellectually sometimes it's a little bit confusing because we're using the candors to let go of the candors, to see the Anicca Dukkha Anatta of the candors. Then we have to work within what we have and with what we have. But nevertheless it can be done. This is the Buddhist path, the way the Buddha practiced, the way our teachers have practiced. It can be done. So developing wise attention. That's a training, learning to stop and consider things carefully maybe it means considering the way I'm feeling or thinking at this very moment learning to recognize what is what and see the way the body is the physical form based on the four elements the way feeling is, the way perception that arises with feeling is and how that colours our thinking and then all the thinking, the moods that come from it. Starting to look at that, 
paying attention with wisdom, with mindfulness and clear comprehension rather than just following the mood of the thought or the perception. Recognizing, say, after moments or periods of unwise attention, ayunisa manasikara, recognizing that and maybe seeing the harm, the danger in it, where maybe we've allowed the mind to get caught into some kind of gratification, say, seeking some kind of distraction away from the present moment through our senses, seeking pleasure perhaps or gratification in aversion as well. That can also be a form of gratification in the sense, delighting in aversion, negative thought formations based on unpleasant feelings, unpleasant negative perceptions. We can indulge in them as well. So sometimes we catch ourselves after the event just reflect back, wisely reflect back on what happened. Say a mood that we fell into, what was the result? Seeing the, maybe the suffering, the confusion of it, the mental agitation of it. If it leads on away, not just from mental karma, but maybe it led on to speech or action, the suffering or the karmic result arising from that. At the very least, moments where we lose mindfulness and we are not paying close attention with wisdom to our five candors, we can at the very least we see just the result of distraction is that the mind becomes agitated, say weaker, coarser in its level of consciousness. If it's just brief moments, well, maybe it's not much, but if it's long periods, then you can see, well, there's a real slip to a, a lower level of consciousness, a coarser level of consciousness due to the continued lack of mindfulness, lack of wise reflection. And then maybe stronger kinds of karma come from that. We say things, we do things based on the results of unwise attention to a particular thought pattern or mood or bodily or mental feeling and so on. Even if it is after the event, one can gain a lot of insight that way, just looking back and saying, oh, that's the result of unwise attention. And one sets up right view, saying, well, that's the cause of suffering and regaining mindfulness and reflecting on Dhamma, then one establishes wise attention and sees the value and the worth of that as the opposite of the unwise attention. So one starts to develop that again and then looks into ways of maintaining that and keeping it going. And then one trusts in the power and the efficiency of wise reflection more so that even if through our past karma strong moods of emotion of anger or anxiety, worry, fear, doubt all of the 
different hindrances when they arise. One has more of a trust and confidence in what wise reflection is and its power to help separate the mind from the candors. Or maybe one has more confidence, so let's say sitting meditation, walking meditation for longer periods of time. Maybe there's aches and pains, tiredness to deal with, but one has confidence that one can apply mindfulness and wise attention to the particular pains and aches without reacting and getting caught into kilesa again. One has more confidence to do that. So as practice progresses, one is training the mind, changing its habits, in developing the good habits, giving up the bad habits. Internally one's doing this. And all kinds of fruitful dhammas arise from that. One's general spiritual faculties increase, improve from that. One has more faith and confidence, more energy, more mindfulness, more samadhi, more insight and so on. But one has to be willing to do that, to be willing to train the mind to turn its attention to contemplate dukkha sometimes, contemplate the negative mind states, negative perceptions, painful feelings, the uh, unattractiveness of the body and so on. One has to turn to look at that and strengthen that good habit of establishing mindfulness and wisely reflecting, reflecting on the candors. But the confidence and the faith and the clarity of the, seeing the path you know, becomes established more and more when one sees, you know, maybe sees the cessation, the passing away of some negative mood based on a kalesa, based on some defilement of greed, anger and delusion. So that one can maybe just face, when that faces one, one faces such a similar situation again and just quickly brings up mindfulness and knows this is bound to cease, this is bound to end. I don't have to worry about it or concern myself about it so much. Maybe the mind returns to equanimity quite quickly. Even in the middle of, say, a lot of pain, sitting meditation, if one's contemplated with wise reflection before many times, then maybe even in the middle of intense pain, one just trusts in the insight and this is bound to cease. This is something arising and ceasing and focuses more and more on the cessation rather than the arising of the, the painful feeling. Or if it's a mood swing, some mood of anxiety or fear or worry or aversion or greed, one goes straight to the contemplation, this is subject to cessation, this is, ces this is ceasing as much as it's arising, it's ceasing. As Ajahn Chah gave the reflection, the cup is already broken. Every mood is already passed away already, even though it's just arising, you can say, well, it's passed away in its nature. Every moment of consciousness is arising, passing away. Cessation is just as valid as arising. 
death and birth go together. Arising, cessation go together. So one's training the mind to just look at things, look at the candles and oh, this is cessation right here. And this is what can lead to the mind letting go, brightening at that point through the power of mindfulness and wise, paying wise attention to one's experience. So the Buddha said this is the forerunner of the path and enlightenment. It's the, uh, the establishing of right view through wise reflection. So just as the dawn is the forerunner of sunrise, you know, every morning there's dawn, every morning the sun will rise. As long as there's a dawn, the sun must rise. It's never been any other way. Just as sure as that, the establishing of right view directed to the candors, seeing them as anicca, must lead to the arising of the path and of onto the awakening, the state of awakening, enlightenment. And one can do that any time. It may not last for very long, it's not yet. Perhaps the Lokutara path, one develops just a more basic understanding first. But if you keep developing that, well, it gradually sustains in the mind. And the power of the, the spiritual faculties, the strength of the mind, the braveness of the mind to confront even dukkha, more extreme dukkha, can, it will grow. So dukkha is seen just as dukkha rather than my dukkha something that we get all upset about and cry about or angry about, worry about. There's no dukkha arising, dukkha passing away. Whether it's the physical body or the mental candors. Little by little the mind keeps focusing on the cessation so one just sees cessation more and more as just the way things are. And this body, seeing the cessation in the body and then Charles had practiced to the point where you see this body is just like a kind of a tottering skeleton walking along when you go, walking back to your kuti along the path. It's just a skeleton or a corpse tottering along going towards a kuti. Or you see another, you pass another member of the community on the path, they're also just another corpse or another skeleton tottering along the path. One is seeing cessation within this body. The cup is already broken. The body is already a corpse. The one who sees the anicca in this body, they see nibbana, and they delight in nibbana. It's, that's the opposite of delighting in the candors. One is delighting in the in nibbana. This is what brings the mind to freedom, to a sense of emptiness. If one is seeing the impermanence of this body or feelings or perceptions or mental formations or sense consciousness, then the mind is free from clinging, free from suffering and the causes of suffering. So this is what we call emptiness, a state of emptiness where insight, both mindfulness is present, samadhi is present, insight is present. The mind is focused on 
emptiness. So then there's no more suffering. One doesn't cling to a mood, cling to a feeling, cling to experiences of pleasure and pain, cling to the body and the dukkha of having a body. The mind goes to emptiness within that experience. There's one empty mind you know, walking along the path with a body that is anicca, feelings that are anicca, perceptions that are anicca, mental formations that are anicca, sense consciousness is anicca. It's just one mind seeing that, knowing that, experiencing that. Then there's not a lot to carry around in the mind. You see that on the path as you go back to your kuti. We go back to your kuti, whether there's nothing to carry into the kuti. No burden of greed for the requisites, say, or other aspects of the material world. No aversion for the world, for other people, for oneself, for the experiences that one has. And just knowing of the candors as they are, this five candors subject to cessation. Any thought, any memory arises, just subject to cessation. The most delightful thing you can think of, the most pleasurable experience you can think of, still just subject to cessation, impermanent. The worst thing you can think of, the worst picture you can paint of your life, other people's life, the world, subject to cessation. Whatever arises, ceases. And this is the Dhamma eye, this is the the mind that is trained in samadhiti. And the more we sustain that, then the less we suffer, the less unhappiness we have, the more joy, the more freedom the mind experiences. You keep joining up those moments of freedom and insight, well then it becomes the path and it becomes the fruit and that's the end of it. So I'll leave you with these words for your contemplation tonight. <clears throat> 